Well, good morning, Cross Point Church. I'm going to tell you what, I love saying that every single Sunday. It is so good to see all of you here today. Uh, whether you're visiting with us, whether you're a regular attender, uh, we praise God that you are here to study God's Word and to worship corporately uh, this day. I want to take this brief moment to dismiss first through third graders. If you are still here, parents, if you'd like your children to go with Miss Danielle, Miss Jen in the back, this is their time to exit here. They will be taught God's Word, His Gospel, either here or there. Uh, so parents, uh, if this is something you'd like to do, we'd encourage you to dismiss your kids now. Uh, then this other brief note, um, there will be no group tonight, I believe, at the Deaton, with the Dean Commerce uh, Life Group. That will not happen tonight. So I uh, just wanted to make that brief mention. I know there will be other get-togethers tonight. For some reason, there's this ridiculous football game going on. I'll tell you what. I've already had wonderful conversations on this today. Man, I'm, I'm excited to watch the game. It's going to be fun. I get together with other friends and watch this. But I'll tell you where my heart is. It's here, brothers and sisters. Guess what? We get to gather today and study God's Word. This is something worth cheering about. Uh, so I'm glad, glad you're here. We will enjoy fellowship, and I'll tell you who I'm cheering for tonight, the believers. <laughs> um, I know there's several on those teams that have come to Jesus Christ in saving faith, and I'm going to cheer that they live for Jesus and shine a bright light for Jesus today uh, in that Super Bowl venue. Um, I think there's one other thing I wanted to say. It may come up in my mind as I walk through this. If not, maybe it wasn't that important. So, Please take your Bibles, my friends, and turn, if you would, please, to Romans chapter 7. Yes, we are back on our journey through Romans. We took a bit of a reprieve through different studies, and now today we are back in our wonderful study. I'm loving this. Um, what? Chapter 7, Romans chapter 7, what a thought-provoking passage depicting the realities of our spiritual life. The conflicts that we go through every single day. And I hope and I pray that you were able to spend some time this week meditating on Romans chapter 7. And that's really our goal, that you don't just touch and go on Sunday morning, get into a text and leave it and come back the next week, but that you really do interact with these texts throughout the week. I had a wonderful uh, dis brief discussion with one of my sisters um, last week, and she said, oh man, I was reading through that all week, and boy, that was great, and we got to unfold it. That's the intention. That when we come to these passages, your heart has been prepared through the week. So you're worshiping with, with God's Word, worshiping God through His Word all week long individually, and what happens here is just an overflow. We get to talk about it together. When you meet in your life groups, it's an overflow. Uh, so that is certainly our prayer. So far, if you look in the back of your handout, you can see this journey. Uh, very brief today in review. Um, you can see where we've been on this journey through the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 1 through 3. After interacting with the theme, we got into this concept of condemnation. Let us right into our need for the next key word, which was justification. This declaration of righteousness for all those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ alone. Uh, so we walk through that. Then this has led us into this next discussion 
kind of the now what discussion. Now what do we do? We've come to Jesus Christ in saving faith. And we want to grow. We are new creations of God, as Paul tells us uh, in Corinthians. We are His. Now what? Uh, that's the discussion we are at in Romans chapter 6 through 8. This sanctification, I think I also included this on the back of your handout. In general sense, it is this process of growth. Sanctification is this process of spiritual growth by which all true believers are progressively consecrated away from sin and toward Christ-likeness. This happens every single day in the life of a believer. It should happen every single day in the life of a believer. One step after another in absolute dependence on Almighty God as we grow. This sanctification inseparably flows from justification, is to some degree or another present in the life of every true believer, and will always lead to glorification. That's where we're at with this text. Well, today we are back in Romans 7, and Paul is exposing the fact that there is an, there is an absolutely real conflict happening. It is a conflict that goes on every single day in sanctification. If you're wondering about this conflict, you can just jump to verse 18. Our brother Griff just read this. What does Paul say here in this text? I mean, we're talking about this, this strong follower of Jesus Christ. We're talking about one of the greatest theologians in all of human history. And, and what does he say? Verse 18, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. If you want to underline something today, that would be an awesome phrase to underline. That phrase, For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Verse 19, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. And what is the conclusion of, of Paul's argument here, his, his testimony here? Verse 24, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I'm not sure why marriage made its way up there. That was... <laughs> I just noticed that. How anticlimactic is that? But the reality of... Okay. <laughs> that just proves God has a sense of humor, you know? <laughs> okay, we're not being prayed to be delivered from marriage today. <laughs> that was completely unintentional. Wow. At any rate... <laughs> Brothers and sisters in Jesus, the conflict is real. Sure in our marriages, but yes, in life. All right, what are we talking about? Okay, we're talking about a battle with uh, the temptations of our old self. Yes, particularly 
the battle with this sin and temptation that interrogates us every single day. So the flow of thought is this. Yes, we have been brought into union with Christ. Yes, we have been transformed from slaves of sin to slaves of righteousness. Sure, we have been positionally changed. That was all of what we've read about in Romans so far. Our hearts have been made new through the Spirit. Our old nature has been crucified with Christ, and we have been given a new nature. But, we are still housed in these bodies that remain vulnerable to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. I mean, this is reality. Practically, the battle still rages, my brothers and sisters in Jesus, every single day. It didn't let you go from the time you opened your eyes today and you heard that alarm clock go off. Or it's Sunday and we don't meet till 10.15, so maybe you got up at 9.45, I don't know. But as soon as your eyes open, as soon as your feet hit the ground, you are interrogated with that battle. It is a self-consumed battle, and that's what we're working on here in Romans chapter 7. In Romans 7, Paul seems to be addressing the source of his conflict. Very clearly, he promotes this key truth, and he's walked, we're walking all the way through Romans 7 in this. As they grow in the relationship with God, true believers should really seriously consider the source of their conflict with sin. Where does it come from, okay? It's kind of a no-brainer that we go through it because sin happens during our week. Not a single one of us here have not sinned in some fashion this week. Where does that come from? What is the source of this? And that is a legitimate question that we entered into this discussion last week. The legitimate question is this. As believers, why? Why do we still struggle so badly with sin? You know what I'm talking about. That addiction, those words, that anger, those nagging thoughts. Why? And so then if we let our minds go without the direction of the word, the natural conclusion would be something like this. Maybe something's broken. Maybe God's plan just isn't working. Or, maybe it's just not possible to live out this new life until heaven. I mean, so that's where our mind starts going. Maybe something's broken. And I love how Paul deals with it in this chapter, because he says, no, neither. Certainly God's plan is not broken, and it is possible to live out the life that God has intended for us in this life However, and it is a big however in this passage, however, because of your remaining sinful flesh, you cannot do this sanctification thing on your own. As resolved as you might be, you cannot do it on your own. We cannot perfectly comply to God's moral expectations on our own. We cannot grow in Christ and battle temptation based on our own strength and ability and resolve. We unequivocally need someone. We need the inner working of the Holy Spirit of God. My friends, that's the conclusion that 
That's the argument that Paul's leading us to in Romans chapter 7. I love how verse 6 says it. He's talked of this last week. He says this, We serve in the new way of the Spirit and not the old way of the written code. So, last week we found assurance in verses 1 through 13 that the source of of sanctification's conflict is not God's holy law. Um, Paul says, verse 7, if you remember verse 7, what shall we say that the law is sin? By no means. In other words, you cannot blame God's law for your struggle with sin today. Just as you cannot blame the microscope for the imperfections in the diamond, and you cannot blame the magnifying mirror for the blemishes and wrinkles on your face. (laughs) We cannot blame God's Old Testament law for our current struggle with sin. Last week we looked at this, that the law is actually and has done its perfect work. It reveals, it exposes sin and reveals that we need someone greater than ourselves. In a very practical sense, we are not in the first century. We are not Jewish believers struggling through this worship in the first century. But as 21st century followers of Jesus Christ, we must remember that we cannot blame God's law. We cannot, I mean, in a a real sense, we cannot blame God's word. We cannot blame God's plan. We cannot blame God himself for our own disobedience. God is not to blame for my sin. What then, and this is where we're headed with this, what then is the source of this conflict? Well, that's where we're at today in verses 13 to 25. 13 is kind of this bridge from the first part of this chapter into the second part of this chapter. So I'll read it again. But clearly Paul is making this type of a point. The source of sanctification's conflict is man's remaining sinful flesh. Let's read about this sinful flesh in verses 13 through 25. I'd encourage you to follow along in your Bibles, your devices, or in the back of your handout. But as we go through this, I I would encourage you to see how many times sin, flesh, and some kind of reference to in inside or dwelling in is mentioned. I'm going to start reading in verse 13. Verse 13 says, Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It is sin. It was sin producing death in me through what is good. In order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. That's exactly what we talked about last week. Through the law, God shows us that we are sinful beyond measure. Verse 14, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am, and here we are, present tense, I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my actions, for I do not want uh, for, I, for I do not do what I want, and, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it, carry it out. By the way, who gives that desire? It is the Spirit. Who carries it out? It is the Spirit. Verse 19, for I do not 
do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Verse 20. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Verse 21. So I find it to be a law (laughs) that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members, uh, my body, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members, my body. Verse 24, this conclusion of Paul, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Verse 25 is the resolve. This is where we're headed with this entire discussion. Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Okay, what is this? I just read a lot of verses that we're going to have to dig into a bit here. Paul has clearly just made the point that the source of his conflict and sanctification is what? His own sinful flesh. (laughs) Among others, he shares two basic descriptive reasons in this argument, and we're just going to look at those reasons today as we walk through this text. Here's the first reason. The sinful flesh is still present, and that's the key word. It's still present in the life of a believer. It has not been eradicated. However, we're going to say this. The sinful flesh is not dominant in the life of a believer. Reason number two, the sinful flesh still wages war in the life of a believer. So not only is it just present, it still wages war in the life of a believer. And so let's, do, let's see those two unfold this morning, starting with this reason number one. Reason number one for sanctification's conflict being man's sinful flesh is this. The sinful flesh is still present in the life, even, yes, of a believer. In other words, My brothers and sisters in Christ, when we come to Jesus Christ in saving faith, when we have been justified, we don't receive a get-out-of-temptation-free card. We've certainly been rescued from the penalty of sinful flesh. That's what Paul's been talking all along. We've been rescued from the penalty. We go to Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. You have been rescued by God's grace from the penalty of this sin, but we still suffer with the effects of the remaining presence of sinful flesh. Even though our hearts have been changed because we're still living. I, mean, I think all of us here, are, it looks that way anyway, we're still living and breathing. No one's passed in the last 30 minutes. We're living, we're breathing, we're functioning in this sin-cursed world. Because we're still in this sin-cursed world, we are still vulnerable to temptation. We're not exempt from temptation. To one degree or another, the sinful flesh still contaminates the life of a transformed believer. To some degree or another, it still is there. Okay, I just said sinful flesh a ton. It's on almost every one of the sentences through this. So we probably should interact with what is this sinful flesh. 
Pastor Andrew, what are you talking about sinful flesh? Well, the word flesh through the scripture could be talking about just a physical nature, your, just your physical body, but more particularly, it's used in this sense. It is the remaining humanness of the believer's existence that regularly terrorizes his mind, will, and emotions. It is the remaining human part of a believer that continues to be vulnerable to the effects of Adam's fall. It is the remaining propensities. I, I really like that word. It is the remaining propensities of the believer to desire the sinful pleasures and godless allurements of the world. Some of your translations will actually use the word carnal, coming from the Greek word. It is fleshly. I appreciate how one writer, his name is Anthony uh, Hakima, explains that the flesh is this. It is the inclination that is still in us to rebel against God's will. <laughs> ever feel that? Do you, don't you feel that? That inclination that is still in you to rebel against God's will. Whatever we may call this tendency, uh, Hakima says, we must remember that even after we have been regenerated, we still have such sinful impulses and must still fight against them as long as we live. How does Paul exp expose this sinful flesh in Romans 7? Well, let's just look at some of the ways he exposes this remaining sinful propensity to the flesh. Yes, even in the life of a believer. How does he explain it? Verse 14, I am of the flesh, sold under sin. Okay, so this is a present tense situation for Paul. And some, I mean, you go to so many different commentaries, there's this debate whether this is Paul talking about uh, his past life and his unregenerate testimonies, testimonies of unregenerate believers. Some think it's his present life, um, his, his struggle as a believer. That's where I would fall. But honestly, as you look at the text and you see what's happening, I really don't know that it matters that much. Why? Because in either situation, whether it's through justification or sanctification, you cannot get there on your own. And the, the Apostle Paul is saying you can't do it on your own. You can't be saved by grace, God's grace on your own. And you can't walk in sanctification on your own. You need someone bigger than you. So we're not going to obsess whether this was unregenerate or regenerate. I personally think, and I'll preach it this way today, that it is the regenerate person. It is a present tense situation for Paul. He is saying this, I am of the flesh, sold under sin. What a phrase. In other words, he is held captive to temptations. They just won't leave him alone. My friend, do you feel that way? That temptation that won't leave you alone. You know what comes to mind? That was a ridiculous illustration. Every spring we go back in our, in our grass and we walk around. Finally you can get out in grass and you can't believe how beautiful it's been in February here. Certainly need rain. <laughs> but spring you go out there into the summer and I go out there and I attract these little noceum bugs. You know what I'm talking about? Oh man, if there is a tool of Satan in my life, it is no seeing bugs. I can't stand them. I mean, I want to go put on my winter suit out in the summer just because I hate getting bit up by these little tiny bugs. And they attracted to me all over my legs. And so I go and I'm enjoying it. And all of a sudden there's like, ah! 
They won't leave me alone. It's pesky. I think sometimes in, in those terms with the sins that I'm dealing with in my life. They won't leave me alone. And that's exactly, I believe, what Paul is saying. I'm sold under this. They, they won't stop interrogating me. And we lived in Wisconsin. It wasn't the no-seeing bugs. It was ticks. We'd go out in the spring, and we'd come back, and there'd be ticks, I'm not joking, crawling all over our kids. I mean, they wouldn't leave us alone, and we're picking them off. Uh, some of them would be in bed, others wouldn't. I mean, you're trying to spray them down, or whatever, but you go on a walk, and it's like, they're all over. Leave me alone! How often do you feel that way with sin? Wretched man that I am. Sin, would you just leave me alone? I'm sold under this sin. It won't stop bothering me. That's what Paul's exposing here. He says it a couple different ways as well. In verse 14, or 17, he says, Sin that dwells within me, it resides within me. I can't get rid of it. He says it again in verse 20. The sin that dwells within me. Same phrase. Verse 23. Sin that dwells in my members, in my human body. It will not let me go. So right away in this discussion, whether it's in Galatians or, or Paul to Corinthians or, or here in, or you go to Ephesians or here in Romans, there seems to be these two entities battling in the life of a believer. We have the flesh and we have the spirit. But massive key clarification is in order when we talk about that. You're saying, what are you talking about? Well, there's two key things we need to remember. So just put your thinking caps on for, for a minute when it comes to the flesh and the spirit. Here's the first one. We have to remember, my brothers and sisters in Christ, that the flesh and the spirit are not, capital N-O-T, they are not equal entities in the life of a believer. Catch that. They're not. These are not two equally opposing dogs, which whenever one you feed wins over the other. No, they're not equal. When I think of that type of illustration, I think of this massive St. Bernard dog and this pesky little dog. He's kicked a little one out of the way. Uh, incomparable, what's happening. And you're saying, well, what are you talking about? Okay, let's just go straight to what John says in 1 John 4, 4. And we've got to hold on to this with all we got. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. These are not two little figures, one with horns and a pitchfork and the other with halo and wings debating on your shoulders. It's just not biblical. When we think about what God's doing in the life of a believer, my friends, he has made you a new creation. You are his. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. So when we enter into this discussion on sanctification, it's not one day I'm part of the Spirit and the other day I just kind of get in the flesh and I'm characterized by this nature and the next day I'm this. No! If you're a believer, you are in the Spirit. He has you. So the first thing on this, and you can tell I get fired up about this, because one reason is because I, I struggle with how people see this. They excuse sin and say, oh, I was just in the flesh this week. No, you weren't. You are in the spirit. And you've complied to the temptations of the flesh. Get out of the mud. All right. 
Here's another clarification. The flesh cannot characterize the nature of a believer. So, first clarification, the flesh and the spirit are not equal entities in the life of a believer. Number two, the flesh cannot characterize the nature of a believer. You say, what are you talking about? Well, we will see this more next week. Just write down Romans 8 and 9. It's going to come alive next week. Um... You're not in the flesh if you are indwelt by the Spirit. Very clearly, Romans 8 9. A believer cannot be characterized, and we just kind of mentioned this, as being in the flesh or in the fleshly nature. Every believer is considered a new creation, and as such, a believer does not still have a sinful nature and a spiritual nature. No, and I know there's some argument on this theologically. I would love to talk to anybody that has questions on this. Uh, this is... Because I've seen in my own life there's been massive temptations and theological derailment potential by believing in this type of thing. A believer cannot sometimes waft into being in his fleshly nature and other times into being in his spiritual nature. No, believers are dynamically, positionally new creations. Write down another passage, 2 Corinthians 5.17. You're a new creation in God. This is the foundation that we've already talked about in sanctification, and this is what we hold to with all we've got. Sure, the believer cannot or can be contaminated by the flesh, but never again can the believer be characterized or dominated by the flesh. Sure, we might be tempted to make decisions of the flesh, but we will never, ever, ever, ever again be in the flesh. Some of you that love walking through different texts are right now saying, well, Pastor Andrew, what about 1 Corinthians 3? I would love to talk to you about 1 Corinthians 3, but just not today. <laughs> we'll talk about this more next week. But what's the takeaway to this point? The first reason that, that the source of this conflict we have in sanctification is this remaining pesky, sinful flesh in us is this. It's still there. Paul makes this point. It's still there. My brothers and sisters in Christ, we are not in the flesh, but we are still prone to the temptations of the flesh every single day. You're prone to them right now. Especially if you don't agree with the theology I'm preaching right now. <laughs> Just joking. Kind of. Let us, let us not pretend that since we came to Christ in saving faith, we are exempt from the temptations of the flesh. That's really where it comes down to. Let's not pretend that all of a sudden we're exempt from these flesh, fleshly temptations every single day. So, the source of sanctification's conflict is man's sinful flesh. Reason one, description one, the sinful flesh is still present in the life of a believer. Reason two, and I hope you're sticking with me on this. It's present, but it's just not passive. It's just not sitting there. That flesh is going crazy. This waging war against the soul of the believer. Um, how does Paul express this? Verse 19. We've already read this, like the fourth time we've read it, so hopefully it's making sense now. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, or want is, is what I keep on doing. Verse 21. When I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. It won't leave me alone. And I love that 
the way that's described, it's close at hand. It won't leave me alone. It is in the bunker, and, and one uh, lexicon actually puts it this way. Um, it's ready for the purpose of action. <laughs> the flesh is ready to pounce. It's ready to get you. That old fleshly per- propensities. Ha! Ready to get you. Paul says this very clearly in verse 23, which we just read. I see in my members another law, and how does he describe it? Waging war. My sinful flesh is calling me out for war. It is enticing me to enjoy the temporary pleasures of godlessness. Um, In practical street terms or family terms, we might call this picking a fight. Your flesh is picking a fight with you every day. Your flesh is pushing all the wrong buttons. You you know what I'm talking about. Or the right buttons to entice a fight. What comes to mind is, you know what it's like when you've got a family that sits in the car for a long road trip? (laughs) Pushing all the right buttons and all of a sudden a flare-up happens? As disciplined as dad and mom and the kids are to not let this explosion happen? You know what I'm talking about. All of a sudden, on mile marker 325, explosion happens. Flare up in the back. Dad and mom, dad's trying to drive and yell at the same time. Mom's trying not to throw things. You know what it's like. This flesh is is there, ready to pounce. What's the takeaway? Well, simply enough, my brothers and sisters in Christ, this is a battle against our flesh that is absolutely real. Undeniably real. We cannot try to rationalize it away. We cannot ignore it. We cannot underestimate it. This warfare is a reality, my friends. If you have come to Jesus Christ in saving faith, the war is real. Sinful flesh is at war against your spiritual growth every single day of your life. So what? Where do we go from here? Hey, thanks, Pastor Andrew. I can't be encouraged with the word today. That wasn't much encouragement. You're at war, so go home. Well, I think I think we need to get here because this is where, where Paul is in this text. He's opening himself up to the reality of the world we live in. This is not pie-in-the-sky, float-on-clouds type Christianity. It is real. This is a real struggle with real sins that we go through in a real world every day. And so I, I think we've got to ask this question as we interact with this text is this. Do you acknowledge that your sinful flesh is waging war against your spiritual growth? You If you've come to Jesus Christ in saving faith, my friends, you cannot ignore this battle. I mean, so here's how some believers will interact with this. They'll read a text like this or hear about this, and they'll just just be aloof. There's so many believers that don't even realize there's a war happening. Others believe, other believers, they do something different. They just bury their head in the sand and try to ignore that, this, that it's going on. They know one's there, but they bury their head and try to ignore. Plug their ears. It's not happening. Close my eyes. I won't see it. 
other believers recognize the conflict and they prepare themselves for battle. That's the Ephesians 6 of our Bibles. Put on the whole armor of God that you may stand in that evil day. So, my friends, do you acknowledge as believers, those who have come to Jesus Christ and saving faith that your sinful flesh is still warring against your spiritual growth. So the question I have today, my brothers and sisters in Christ here at Crosspoint, are you ready to battle? It leads us to another question. We'll close out with this question. Do you realize that you cannot battle on your own? Okay, so that really, right, I just said, is the key point of this entire passage. The source of the conflict is not God. It's not God's law. It's not God's word. It's not God's plan. The source of the conflict is your sinful flesh. So then, what is the conclusion? You need God. You need the Spirit at work in your life every single moment of every single day you are to submit yourself to this Holy Spirit of God that is working in your life through the Word. You cannot meet God's standards of the law on our own. You can't do it. That's really what Paul's argument is. You can't meet any of the standards of God's moral law on your own. You try to it blew in the face and you've run calluses on all of your fingers and your toes. You can't do it on your own. We cannot do sanctification on our own just as we cannot do justification on our own. My friends, we need help. We can't even live one day without depending on the Holy Spirit for help. Even with our union in Christ. We desperately need the Holy Spirit every step of the way And so the question is this, do you, my friends, and we're going to get right into this next week, do you realize that you cannot battle on your own? This this is real to me in so many ways. I mean, just thinking and meditating on this this week. Some really good discussions with my wife, Hannah. She's been, I know some of the ladies were getting together on Thursday nights and talking about this book, and we're interacting with Proverbs 31 and the, the... this person, this virtuous woman of Proverbs 31, there's a lot more to that in biblical theology, but this Proverbs 31 woman, and I'm going to tell you, probably many ladies in this room have read that, and you're like, "Uh, nope. No way am I ever going to meet up to that. I mean, that's kind of like this really cool thing to attempt, but no way. I mean, so easily weasels into our lives, like, yeah, I can do that. We can get her done. No, you can't. I mean, even in my own life, some of the own struggles of my life this week, thinking about parenting and thinking about husbanding, being a good husband, and thinking about pastoring, and thinking about living the gospel in this community. And I'm going to tell you, I went through some deep discouragement this week where God was bringing this to reality to me. Andrew, you can't do it, buddy. As resolved as you are, you can't do it on your own. There's the Spirit of God working in you in His timing one step at a time, one day at a time, one moment at a time. 
so do we realize that we cannot battle on our own. We'll close with Paul's words that will lead us directly into our study next week. First of all, a reminder of verse 18. If Hopefully you've, you've circled that or underlined it. Here's the reminder. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Where, where, where do we find this ability? The end of the chapter. Verse 24, Paul says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And I can imagine in his cell writing this or wherever he was as he wrote this, tears started running down the Apostle Paul's face just like they do for yours and mine. And he says what? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And it leads us right into Verse 1 of chapter 8, sort of an unfortunate chapter break, and here's what he says. There's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in, who, in Christ Jesus. And then he proceeds for the rest of the chapter to show us the wonderful miracle of the Holy Spirit of God working in our lives to battle sin. And so come back next week, the next two weeks, as we rejoice in sanctification's power. God, we thank you for the time we could have today looking at these texts, reminding ourselves of the fact that even as believers, those given in this new nature, those indwelt by the Spirit, we, we cannot take one step on our own. It is through the Spirit. So God, this doesn't ignore, excuse us to sit on the couch and do nothing, because we've already talked of that. But this certainly doesn't encourage us, as you're showing in this word, in your word, to get off the couch and try to do everything on our own strength. Well, God, we praise you for your Holy Spirit of God, your Holy Spirit that comforts us and convicts us. And our prayer, Father, as we interact with these passages, is that we would truly do what's talked of over and over and over and over again in the New Testament that we would walk in the Spirit, that we would not fulfill the lusts of our flesh. That's our prayer, God. Thank you for the time we could spend this morning. My friends here today, I want to thank you for being here today, sitting through the study of the Word. There are some sitting here today they like, man, Pastor, uh, some of that made sense, but, but not all of it. Well, I'm going to start with this right now as we enter into a closing prayer time is this. Please know that you cannot battle your flesh in any way on your own, and that includes primarily those who have never come to Jesus Christ in saving faith. <laughs> you want to see your, your, uh, a good life. You want to see all this stuff happen. My friends, you need Jesus. And, and this is the, the key of all of this. Is as you walk through Romans, it's very clear that we are born into this world under condemnation because of sin. But God in His grace sent Jesus to go to the cross as your substitute. And Scripture is clear. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be rescued. So my friend, if you've never come to Jesus Christ and started into this battle... Would today be the day you come to Jesus? Don't delay. 
And we're going to close out this service in just a bit. There's going to be chaplains standing at the front. Uh, I'll be at the back. The other elders will be spread around. Um, or is anyone sitting around you say, can you talk to me more about this new life in Christ? This would be the day to come to Jesus Christ in saving faith. Would you come to Jesus today? For those in this room who have come to Jesus Christ, but you're like, Pastor, you know that passage that you presented today, Paul's battle, that's my battle. I'm going through it right now. That pesky temptation that won't leave me alone. My friend, would you be assured today beyond measure that you cannot do this on your own? Would you cast your dependence on God to give you the grace in the battle? Part of this whole equation, there's a massive part in Romans 7, is to think that we can somehow live up to God's holy standards on our own strength. It's no. We can't. You cannot fulfill God's moral laws on our own. We, it can only be done through the indwelling Holy Spirit. So my friends, as you think through this battle this week, I would encourage you to let this battle be a reality, that, but then to find encouragement as you read ahead into Romans 8 as you read through the wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit of God in your life. My friends, this is the Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ himself promised before he went to the cross. He said, I'm going to send you a comforter. This comforter is going to be with you. He's going to walk through this with you. My friends, this week, will you meditate on the truth that God's Holy Spirit indwells the life of a believer. So God, we come to you today. We thank you for this text, the reality of what Paul is exposing. Oh man, I feel it with Paul. So many of us here feel it with Paul. We cannot do this. But God Almighty, we thank you through Jesus Christ. The victory's been won at the cross, and through the cross now, we have the indwelling Spirit. And I pray, God, this week that we would see our need for Jesus, the victory of Christ, and the indwelling Spirit every single day this week. We would truly walk in the Spirit, that we would not fulfill the lusts of our flesh. Thank you for this time we could spend together today. It is in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to come and worship corporately today. We're going to close out with an anthem of dependence. Lord, I need you. And so if you know this song, would you sing with us? If you don't need it, meditate on the words on the screen. Let's sing this together. Some of you came today ready to share your resources. We're not going to pass any offering plates. There's boxes in the back. Uh, feel free to use those if God's laid that on your heart. Let us stand together today. Let us thank God that we could join in corporate worship, and let's close out this service with this call, this prayer. Lord, I need you.